I cannot um, thank you enough as a church uh, for the opportunity that you gave Amy and myself uh, to go to the Holy Lands and also to Greece. Uh, it was the blessing of a lifetime. And uh, uh, tonight, Jim Barnard asked to look at pictures with me. So uh, Jim and I, so we're going to have family conference at five and we're going to meet for about 30 minutes. Uh, one of the things, uh, very important about that meeting, encourage you to come, Cricket and or Kim, I don't know if, who's going to report, but are going to share about their vision trip to the border, about mission opportunities that we as a church have uh, with the needs that are there. So that's tonight, but about 530 uh, hopefully till about 6 Only I'm only going to talk an hour and I'm only going to show pictures for an hour I, Jim is, can only look for about an hour and so if you want to stay uh, then you're welcome to do that we're, we're going to meet in the conference room if it gets larger than that then we'll go to the gym um, there's going to be dessert I'll talk about that later um, also wanted to say that at the end of the service today, Byron and maybe some of our youth are going to share about their week of missions in Houston. And so, um, but anyhow, thank you. Uh, I'll share about that uh, tonight. Uh, I was reminded in the last 12 days, hey, Steve, I think the pulpit mic's on, so I'm getting a little bit of, yeah. I was reminded in the last 12 days uh, on our trip uh, that our God is a real God who has worked in history. Uh, these stories are not fiction. They really happen to real people in real places. They were real events. And God recorded it by inspiring men to write down the story of how he worked in history. I am reminded of the resolve in all of our lives as Christians that our lives are to be based upon his inspired record of his activity in our world because it is the basis of our faith. Um, In my heart, I am concerned about American Christianity that focuses on my experience and what I need from God. And I think many times my sense, even in my own life, is that I am more concerned about my story and then I want to fit God a little bit of God into my story and I'm telling you it's not biblical Christianity biblical biblical Christianity is that God has worked in the past and he has revealed the way of salvation and his righteousness his glory he's taught us about eternity 
And it's not about fitting God into my story. It's about me fitting myself into God's story. His is the big story. Daryl Smith's story, your story, is just a little story that fits into that. I don't know if that makes any sense today. But make sure that you don't come at God and go, Oh God, this is what I need from you. (laughs) This is how I want you to fit into my little world. No, you come to God and say, God, would you show me your world and your glory and your purposes and what you are doing in history and how my life then can only make sense as I fit into that. This morning in our series, One Big Story, which if you haven't been here, uh, we are taking... These Sundays in 2019 to look at uh, a 30,000 foot view of the Bible uh, and so that we can see the details uh, from a big picture perspective Um, and this morning I don't know if this is good news or bad news we are finishing the Old Testament So think about this. We're about seven months in. So we're going to spend about seven of the 12 months in the Old Testament. And then we're going to spend the last in the five five months in in the New Testament. And we're going to look at what God did then in the New Testament. But this morning I want to build a bridge (laughs) between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because there is 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Before we leave the Old Testament, hey, Steve, I'm still getting a lot back in the, maybe these monitors up here, and I really just don't want to hear myself that much, you know? Um, Thank you, brother. (laughs) Only you or George Parr would have responded to that statement. Um. I want you to see the big picture. Um, The perspective in all of this is God has given us his word that gives us life and the meaning of everything and eternity. And uh, we have to be students of it. I understand these Sundays. There's a lot of details. Any time I have to pass out a reference sheet for a sermon, you know it's got a lot of details, but I really want you to take this this morning. It'll save us a little bit of time. I want you to have a general overview of the Old Testament and to know where things fit. In the Old Testament, there are books of history that go from Genesis uh, to 2 Chronicles. Uh, well, to Esther, I'm sorry. It goes all the way through Esther. And then there are the writings that go from Job, um, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon goes all the way through the Song of Solomon. And then you start uh, the prophets, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. And then you have the 12 minor prophets. And we end this morning with the last of the minor prophets. We're going to touch just a little bit on Malachi uh, to show us the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the Old Testament, this is kind of like a final summary What does the Old Testament teach us? The book of Genesis that God is our creator. 
But in the third chapter, we sin and we rebel against God. And the rest of the story is a story of redemption, of how God is bringing us back into a right relationship with him. He calls Abraham about Genesis 11 and 12. And he makes a covenant with Abraham and his descendants that he's going to bless him. He's going to make many descendants. He's going to give them a land. And he's going to bless all the families of the earth through them. And so the storyline narrows to Abraham and his descendants from there on out. And you see this windy, crooked path, sometimes good, sometimes bad, eventually leading to the kings and a kingdom that is built uh, in the land and uh, the setup of the sacrificial system in the temple and God's uh, really uh, picture of what redemption looks like in the shedding of blood and the sacrifice. And then when they rebel, there is discipline. And then finally, what Byron has covered in the last couple weeks uh, with Ezra and Nehemiah is the restoration. After God's discipline, he restored the land and the temple and not all the people. Hmm. A lot of them stayed scattered. Um, but some of the people came back and God restores them to that place. And you, you kind of get to that point and you go, okay, so that's good, right? But when we come to Malachi, what we realize is there's something missing. Even when they are restored with all of those outward things, the land, the people, and the temple, and the sacrificial system, and all of that, there is just this sense in Malachi that there is something missing. It's still not exactly right. In fact, I want you, I want I really, that's the feeling I want you to have this morning of just a little bit, I don't know how I'm going to communicate that or how you're going to experience that, Jennifer, annoying that says there's something that's just not right. Even when we get to the Old Testament and God restores, there's still something that's just not right. But actually, when you think about it, it makes sense. <laughs> there's the Old Testament, 39 books. There's the New Testament, the 27 books. Yes, there's 400 years in between, but to call it the Old Testament, well, we covered this maybe in week one, but testament is not a word we use very often, and it means covenant. And so really in our brains, I think it communicates really more when we say old covenant, new covenant. But when you say old covenant, what you are saying is when you say old, you are talking about passing away something that is going away. And so really when you say there's, there has to be something missing, otherwise there's no new covenant. If everything was made right, then we would have just stayed right there and Malachi would have been like the last word and you would have gone, okay, it's good. But there's something missing. But with God, when there's something missing, it reminds us that there is something more still to come. Amen? I want you to know when you come to a point in your life when you say there's something missing, when you have God, what that means is there's some, He has something more. Now we have, to, we have to determine some things at this point because the reality is, is 400 years pass. In fact, what we're going to describe is 400 years of silence. And so I'm not saying 
when God says there's something more that immediately it comes, there is a sense of God's timing we have to talk about this morning. Um, and you have to understand when we're between something missing and something more, do not assume because of God's silence that he is not there. God's hand is still on our life and he is still working in our circumstances. Uh, when there's something missing, know that God has something more. Uh, Peyton, I want to put the timeline up on the screen. Oh, people, bear with me. Hey, the reality is the, the timeline for the New Testament's not near as long, you know. We're, we've covered about, uh, what would that be, Brother Shane, about 4,000 years? Uh, 3,600 years in the Old Testament. Yeah, it's going to, whoop, we're going to get down to decades in the New Testament, so hopefully the timeline will look better. Um, Byron's covered this, but in 444 we have the walls rebuilt under Nehemiah, and during his time, probably when he went back to Persia, Malachi prophesies he's the last of the prophets. He's, it's, this is the last book in the Old Testament. Maybe about 432, Malachi prophesies. And uh, the Israelites are under uh, Persian rule until the Greeks surface. And uh, anytime there's a guy called the Great, you know, he's, he's a big deal. And it is Alexander the Great uh, that comes in 334. Alexander the Great, a young man only in his 20s, uh, conquers the known world. Uh, the Greek culture, uh, political system, buildings, uh, dramas, writing, philosophy, all of that flourished in the, in the 4th century, uh, the 5th century B.C., the 400s, Alexander the Great comes along, and not only does he militarily conquer the ancient world, but this is what I need you to know this morning, very significantly. He Hellenizes um, to, to uh, spread Greek culture. The term would be the, the Hellenization. They Hellenized. So, very significant. You need to put this as a mental note. With Alexander the Great, they began to spread the Greek culture, the way of life of the Greeks, into the known world. This is very significant. Uh, it did something to the Jewish people who had to respond to this culture that was being pressed upon them. Eventually, you're not going to believe this, Alexander the Great dies Yeah, suddenly, early in life. But his successors fall in a line. And Brother Shane's favorite year in, in history is 167. I don't know why. He's, he's a little bit off. Um, but in 167, that cultural push against the Jews, at least, become, comes to a head in a, in a ruler called Antiochus Epiphanes, who so wants to the culture of the kingdom upon God's people that he goes and he cleans out the Jewish temple and just to enforce his, his way of life he sets up an image to Jupiter uh, God has a strict law against 
idols. <laughs> he sets up an image of, of Jupiter, the Roman god, in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And to infuriate them further, he sacrifices a pig on the Jewish altar. If you don't know anything, the one thing that Amy and I, one thing Amy and I did not eat while we were in Israel was bacon. We may be going to cook some today. <laughs> Should have cooked some the first night we got home. Like, I need me some bacon. That doesn't have anything to do with this morning. Other than Antiochus Epiphanes in 167. And it was the tipping point. The Jews, it's basically like, no, we've had it. And they revolt under a group of people called the, the Maccabees. And they, they rule themselves for about 100 years until the Romans come and take them, which is going to bring us to the New Testament times. This is all on your sheet if, you're, if you want to study it further. <laughs> if you leave your sheet in your pew, I know you left it in your pew, okay? So at least take it and throw away at home. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Romans come, and the big leader that uh, comes about is Herod the Great who is a builder. The Romans conquer, and several decades after that, I think in 37 B.C., Herod the Great comes, and he begins to build. And the Romans are massive builders, not only of fortresses, but of roads. And then, the next date we have, that we're going to talk about today, in 26 B.C., uh, John the Baptist comes, and he begins to prophesy. Here's what I want you to understand today. The last prophet was 432, Malachi. The next prophet is John the Baptist in 26 AD. There are over 400 years, maybe, of what we would call prophetic silence. But I want you to know that God was not inactive. <laughs> it was not like God said, oh, I'm not speaking and I'm not acting. I'm withdrawn from history and the world. The other thing before we read Malachi, and we're just going to talk about Malachi for just a minute, is I want you to notice on your sheet, this is very important to set up our New Testament study, uh, the religious political parties of the intertestamental period. That's a horrible title. I know that is so much. In response to the cultural push of the Hellenization the Greeks began to, I'm sorry, the, the Jews began to respond in certain ways and certain religious parties began to develop. The largest of those were the Pharisees in this, this 400-year time period. The Pharisees, as listed on the sheet, are the separated ones. And they were the ones who adhered strictly to the law. We are going to remain distinct from the culture that has been pressed against us by meticulously adhering to the law. Brother Barry, not just the law that was written, but we're going to write some more. We're going to give you details on what it means to, to keep the Sabbath day holy to the nth degree. We're going to, they, were, they were legalists. The Sadducees were another group. They weren't as large. They were a part of the high priestly family, and the high priestly family controlled the temple and all those, uh, the sacrificial system. They chose to stay a little cozy with the powers that be. They were wealthy people, they were controlled people, and they didn't care so much to be distinct. Uh, they stayed connected to the powers that be. The other group that I don't have time to talk about this morning, 
but it'll come up again. The Essenes. They were the ones in response to the cultural push of the Greeks chose to withdraw into the wilderness and so they could stay pure. They weren't very many either. Uh, there were two other minor groups we would call the Herodians. We encounter these in the New Testament. They were the ones who sided with the Herods, which is a family name, almost like saying the Smiths. And then there were also on the other extreme were the Zealots. And we see some of this among the 12 disciples of Jesus, those who plotted the overthrow uh, of the Romans. They were the terrorists of the day. And I, I want you to know that. So my point is, there were 400 silent years, but God is still engaged in those years, and there was something that God, in fact, there was something that was going on historically that, that God was waiting for so that you could come to the time when he said, now's the time the Messiah is coming. There's really, I don't, I don't know. There's two things I have a hunch about. One was the universal language of Greek that would allow the gospel to be preached and spread among all people. The second was the Roman peace and road system so that they could travel more easily and the gospel could spread. If I was just making a guess of why God waited, but he did. But what was the last word of the Old Testament? What was it that God said at the end? <laughs> what was it that God said before for the 400 years of silence? Well, it's in the book of Malachi. Uh, and you see on your sheet that, yes, the prophet exposed the sin of God's people. This is very significant. There is something subtly communicated there because in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, everything had been restored. The temple, the sacrificial system, the land, all of that had been restored. But there was still something missing because there was sin in God's people. In fact, it was sin at the highest level, the priest. There were three things that can be highlighted from uh, Malachi about what was wrong in their culture. And this is days, this is years after God has restored everything to them. This is my point. Even though he had restored it, there was still something missing. The priests were corrupt. You can read about that in Malachi. The people were unfaithful in their marriages. Their marriages were corrupt. And thirdly, they were corrupt in their, in their, their money, their finances, their tithes and offerings. But there is something, fourthly, about the book of Malachi, and it's only contained in three verses, and it is the last word of the Old Testament that God said through the prophet Malachi, there is a forerunner who will come before the Messiah comes to prepare the people, and he is the Elijah who is to come. And the book closes. There's, there's three verses. The first one in, in uh, Malachi 3.1. And it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. 
Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord is coming. He is called the messenger of the covenant. But what Malachi records is that there is another figure who will be a forerunner that he calls my messenger. The crazy thing is in Hebrew, Malachi means my messenger. But notice it says that he will prepare the way before me. There is a forerunner. There is one before the Messiah comes, before the Lord comes. There will be a forerunner who will go before him to prepare the people for his coming. Um, there are really two verses that relate to this figure. Uh, and I've, I've included these verses on your sheet. But in Isaiah 40, verse 3, when Isaiah prophesied about this figure, he said, He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. When Jesus taught, he told his disciples that this figure was none other than John the Baptist and he quotes these verses in Matthew and this is on your sheet but Matthew 11 and 10 it says for this is he this is the words of Jesus this is he of whom it is written behold I send my messenger before your face he will prepare your way before you assuredly I say to you this is what Jesus said after he quoted that verse assuredly I say to you among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus said that Malachi's prophecy was fulfilled almost 450 years later in the person of John the Baptist. The final verses of the Old Testament and of Malachi. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. He continues this theme, but he speaks about it in different words. And he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet." before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. <laughs> Period. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> 39 books, Old Testament, complete. What was the last word? I'm sending Elijah, and he will prepare your hearts. It was all about preparation. And Jesus tells us that that figure was fulfilled uh, in John the Baptist. Interestingly enough, it is the same thing the angel says to the parents of John the Baptist. When the angel appears to Zechariah, the father of of John the Baptist the angel says and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children he quotes the the Malachi passage and the disobedient 
to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Jesus continued this discussion with the inner circle of disciples after the Mount of Transfiguration. When they're coming down off the mountain, do you remember the Mount of Transfiguration? And there were two Old Testament figures that appeared with Jesus. Hmm. Moses, who symbolized, who represented the law. Who symbolized, who represented the prophets? Elijah. They saw Elijah and Moses. Somehow they knew it was them. Of course, we've all seen pictures, so we ought to know too. We saw them. Uh, Elijah was a, uh, John the Baptist, uh, I'm sorry, Elijah was a wild man, and John the Baptist was a wild man too. We're going to have to talk about that in two weeks. Um, but when they're coming down off the mountain, they have this conversation. It says, and as, this is the Matthew 17 passage. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. The word was Elijah's coming, and Elijah will prepare their hearts. Very significant that we understand this. The last word, Elijah is to come, and it gives us the answer to the question, what is missing? No, that prophet will prepare their hearts. The great prophets, and I included this on your sheet, the prophecies, two of the major prophets, as they were going into exile or were in exile, God's discipline, Jeremiah 31, 33, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And then the passage in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That was the last word. And so it teaches us what to do when something is missing. When we come to the place in our life where we say, I, I don't know. There's four things, and I include them on your sheet. I want you to understand that first, when something is missing, that God's silence does not mean he is not there. Trust the illustration of the scripture that although God did not prophetically speak in for over 400 years, 
that God was still on the throne and God was still working his, his plan. And, and I, I think quite honestly, there are times in our life that we hear from God more than we hear from other, at, hear of him at other times. Do not base your understanding of God on your own experience. Just because you or I don't hear from God does not mean that God is not there. That's a little self-centered and egocentrical. Let's just be honest. When there is something missing, God's silence does not mean that he is not there. I think the biggie is the second one. When something is missing, look inside. They come to Malachi that time in the next 400 years. and Everything is set up for them to experience God. They've got the temple, the sacrifice, the priests. They've got a kingdom. The people are there. The land is theirs. But there's still sin. Because it's not about those outward things. It's about the inward life. And so the prophecy was that God was going to do a work inside your heart because you can have all of those things. I would say to you, if there is something missing in your life to add another activity to your life, may just conceal what the real issue is. I would start with the inside and say it's not about this. Well, I need to do a better job at this or this or that. And I'm not saying... That's not true, but I would start when something is missing, look first inside. Thirdly, when something is missing, I think the great word of hope is know that God is something more. And so in those 400 years, you wonder if they just shook their head and went, what is going on here? This just doesn't seem to be working there was something greater, there was something more that God had for them. But it really brings us to that last one. When something is missing, we have to trust in God's timing. And I believe historically, somehow, for some reason, God had a timing that Jesus was going to be born. We'll cover that. Man, we're going to have a sermon about Christmas on July 28th. It's like, it's like Christmas in July, they say. I don't know that I've ever preached on Christmas in July, but Jesus is going to get born next week. Come. It may be a completely take, different take on it than December. Uh, God has a timing. Um, he is carrying out his plan. Um, and we just have to know that he has something more. There is something greater than is coming. But we have to trust in God's timing that in his time, he will bring it about. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Um, let me pray as our worship team comes. Father, we uh, thank you that you are sovereign God. Uh, whether we hear from you or not, 
Father, we pray that we would base our lives on your word. We would know what it is that you have said. And Father, we would respond to that. And Father, I I thank you that you always say that you have a future and a hope for us. And so we pray that we would, in the midst of difficult days, that Father, we we would press forward and know that you are there, that you have a purpose and a plan. And then your time, you will carry about that plan. And so, Father, today we choose to trust you. Father, I pray in this time that, Father, as we have decisions to make, uh, steps to follow in obedience to you, even as Cambria has done this morning, that, Father, we would be faithful. And so we give you this time and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.